Hello, welcome to this new podcast series from the Scottish Arts and Humanities Alliance, SAHA for short. SAHA brings together Scottish universities, the Royal Society of Edinburgh, and the Scottish Graduate School of Arts and Humanities to promote the contribution of arts and humanities to society. In this podcast series, we speak to a range of inspirational individuals who have experienced firsthand the value of arts and humanities in their lives and their careers. I am Dr. Christina Klopot and I will be the host for this podcast series. For the last episode of our Saha Conversation series, we are joined by Philip Long. Philip is the Chief Executive of the National Trust for Scotland. He has an extensive experience in the arts and heritage sectors in Scotland and he is the founding director of VNA Dundee, a landmark museum and cultural institution in Scotland. As usual, Philip has links with several Saha member institutions. A fellow of the Royal Society of Edinburgh, he is also an honorary professor at the University of Dundee and an honorary research fellow of the University of St. Andrews. Philip has received an OBE for services to culture and heritage in 2020. This last Saha conversation includes several discussion topics and Philip reflects on his studies as well as his career trajectory and his current role at the National Trust for Scotland. We also discuss his experience at VNA Dundee the latest developments in the heritage sector and their influence on the trust's activity. Thank you for uh, joining our Saha conversation today, Phil. We're delighted to have you over as our guest and discuss uh, quite a number of things all to do with heritage and culture. So. Our Saha conversation series would usually begin with a question on our guests' career trajectory. And also we ask them to reflect on their university studies. So that's my opening question to you. What are your key reflections when you look back on your career and um, where you started with your studies? Well, thanks very much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be a part of this. Well, my university studies began back in the mid-1980s. I was a, a visual arts student at Lancaster University, and I suppose that my reflections on that are that it was a very inspirational time of finding out about new things, uh, meeting all sorts of people, and especially, I suppose, trying to put <laughs> any ability I had in, in visual arts, and in particular making art, into practice. So that degree was in making art, and I specialised in making sculpture. Otherwise, I also um, made work in, in photography and in, and in painting and design. One of the things I particularly enjoyed about it was, rather than it being a course in an art college, and so with a very substantial focus on the making of work, it uh, also had quite a substantial academic element to it in art and design history and also in other fields which I chose to, to study in, in archaeology and in history. And um, I think that those factors, uh, the fact that I was making work in, if you like, 
in an art environment that was very influenced by everything that was going on in the exciting world of contemporary art and in the mid-1980s and into the late 1980s. It certainly was a very exciting world with all sorts of developments, particularly in, in painting in the UK. I was always interested in the, the heritage context of all of that in archaeology and in history and in architectural history. So I suppose there was some signs there as to what was eventually to uh, come. But uh, I think one of the things about that degree was it was quite general. There were very many things to to study and and a reflection on it that I have is that it perhaps didn't have the focus that I needed. And so I went on to postgraduate degree in museum and gallery studies at Essex University, which was both practical in that it involved the understanding of museum practice and the organisation of an exhibition with colleagues on the course, as well as the academic. And I looked particularly at some of the language that is behind uh, the architecture of museums and galleries to understand how we have thought about and how we've housed, uh, how we represent past cultures. So the difference in doing that undergraduate degree was that it, it had a particular focus on a career path that was vocational into museum and galleries work. And I enjoyed that very much and it was very helpful to me because I, I suppose it came at a time in my life, in my early 20s, when there are so many choices ahead of one, and particularly in the fields that I was interested in, in the arts. And often it's very, very hard indeed to know where one might go, what one's career might be. So that um, postgraduate degree certainly helped me in that. Thank you. And it's nice to think about, you know, how studies are weaved with your current role at um, the National Trust. But before we uh, move on to discuss heritage more specifically, I wanted to ask you to reflect a little bit on your work with VNA Dundee, as we've noticed that you've been involved in its development from very early on. You, you worked on the project as its first director. So we were wondering in that sense, what impact do you think its development has had on Scotland? But also thinking of the artistic community, what impact it has had on the local artistic community? Well, I think it's had a great deal of impact and it's only had a great deal of impact on the people that, that were involved. I'm very proud of being involved with V&A Dundee. I worked on it for just short of 10 years. It's perhaps just worth saying something about what I did prior to that. I was a curator at the National Galleries of Scotland for almost 20 years. And so over that long time there, I was able to learn in particular about my what became my own specialist interest, which was in Scottish art and design from the late 20th century, very much up to the present. And I had the opportunity to research and organise exhibitions, as well as do all the things that uh, curators need to do in these jobs, which they must mm. do caring for the collections and the buildings and thinking very carefully about the experience that people have and how we inspire people and encourage people to come to our galleries and to find out about the visual arts. So in doing that job at the National Galleries, what was very clear to me and a great inspiration was that, that creativity and art has an enormously important part to play in people's lives. It's often at the vanguard of commentary on some of the most important subjects and topics of our day. And of course, simply its beauty can be incredibly inspirational and very rewarding above and beyond the practicalities of every day. So when I heard that there was a possibility that there was going to be a new museum in Scotland, a V&A, 
was very excited at that. And I was especially excited that there was a possibility it would be in Dundee. And because mm. Dundee, over many years, has perhaps had a difficult reputation, one which has been associated with challenges, both socially and economically. And so the prospect of a V&A in Dundee and that partnership between the V&A and Dundee, I thought was very exciting. And so I was, I felt very fortunate to, to be appointed the first director. And yes, I was the founding director, if you like. I came in in 2011, long before the building had begun to be constructed. And so it was my responsibility to develop the project overall and work with a partnership in Dundee, which combined, and I think this is interesting, combined both academic institutions such as the University of Dundee and Aberdeen University, together with other organisations like the VNA and the City Council and bodies funded by government such as Scottish uh, Enterprise. So it opened in 2018, after many years of work to establish it and uh, get it constructed and develop the team. And why I think it's really important is perhaps boils down to two elements. I think the first thing is that it's the first museum that's dedicated to exploring the importance of design in all our lives in Scotland. And in fact, it's the only other design museum in the UK outside London that, that does this. It looks at design as something that's formed our past, that is a vital part of our lives every day and for the future. I mean, design is something that we make decisions about every day, and whether it's the food that we use or the, the, the pen that we write with or the, the choices that we make in, in so many parts of our life. And so it seemed a very exciting thing that a museum institution could be responsible for examining this and helping people find out more about the importance of design in our lives. Design can be incredibly beneficiary. And it can also be damaging. Bad design can be life-threatening. And so that, if you like, is the mission of the institution. But the second element, which I think is important to talk about, and you asked the question about its development on Scotland, is that it was actively a project which set about to contribute and to make a difference to the city of Dundee, which, as I've mentioned, has had very many difficulties. Dundee in the 19th century and 20th century was a city of great prosperity, at least for the mill owners, the industry which dominated its work and which gave employment. And But that, uh, that traditional industry began to fail in the middle of the 20th century. And Dundee, although it worked hard to try and diversify its, its industry, it had found that problematic. And by the 70s and 80s, Dundee was suffering from high levels of unemployment and as a consequence of failing industry. And as we all know, that leads to very difficult circumstances for the people of a place. And Dundee has been known as having some of the worst deprivation statistics in Scotland, the UK, and in fact in Europe. And so an ambition came about to redevelop the city. And V&A Dundee, if you like, has been a flagship project in that because it is a symbol of ambition and achievement. It was a complicated project to deliver and to fundraise for, and it was done in Dundee. Dundee has the first V&A in the world outside London. And so it is a prestigious project, which says, I think, a great deal about the future ambitions of the city, its mm. ability to make things happen, and also the value that a place like Dundee puts on the importance of understanding creative culture as a part of our lives. 
and mm. uh, we have seen uh, how it has helped contribute to the city. And for those that would like to really get into the detail on that, I'd encourage people to look at the VNA Dundee website, in particular to look at the, the social and economic impact studies that were done shortly after the opening that give some you know, very, very impressive information on the effect that it has had. Thank you. I think it's very interesting, you know, when you think of the stories and narratives around how culture can transform a city. And we actually had another podcast guest, uh, Dr. Bridget McConnell from Glasgow Life, and she talked in a similar manner in some ways about the way that the projects that she's overseen during her career have actually transformed Glasgow quite a bit. And it's a very powerful message, I think, when you look back on how culture can contribute to so many areas that at first sight you don't think they're necessarily related. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Places of culture are absolutely vital in our culture, and uh, they often have been substantially in our cities. And that is not a new thing. That goes back <laughs> That goes back millennia. Um, places of learning or, or museums, these sorts of cultural institutions have been a vital part of our urban centres for um, a very, very long time. And I think that something that we'll all have been reflecting on in the great difficulties over the last two years, particularly when we were so restricted mm. in being able to go out and see things and when organisations needed to close for, for public health, how difficult it was and how uh, people felt the, that it was, it was such a strange thing to not be able to take up all of that culture that is around us, whether it's seeing a historic house or whether it's going to a gallery to see your favourite picture or seeing exhibitions, um, uh, places feel quite bereft without mm. these things. And, and that gives a clear indication of just how important culture is as part of many people's everyday lives. Yes, I think. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to argue with any of what you said just now. You also, I think, if I'm not mistaken, maintain some strong links with several academic institutions uh, in Scotland. So I was wondering if you've noticed some specific traits that the arts and humanities Scottish landscape has. Yeah, it's very important for me personally, and I think it's very important more widely. And I say personally because in my responsibility, whether it was at VNA Dundee or now for the National Trust for Scotland, a great deal of every day is taken up with all of the, the practical direction and management of the organisation. And it's very important to remember uh, what these organisations are fundamentally for. They are about the care of the culture of, of this country. And we can far better care for our, our culture and heritage if we understand it better. And it requires time and careful consideration to understand that culture so we can better help share its importance with people more widely. It can be quite practically difficult to, to work on that sort of area uh, because of the practical needs every day. So I think it's very important to keep in contact with organisations, with bodies whose dedicated purpose in academia is to research and understanding and to share that knowledge so it's important for me to continue to keep abreast of subjects of interest that is going on more widely in fields of cultural culture and heritage. And I think that organisations like the Trust and others, because of just simply the practical requirements that they have, 
means that they never have the resources to uh, research into all of the extraordinary material that they have. And so partnership, and, and neither do I think they should do that on their own, partnership with academic bodies that, as I've said, uh, have the uh, dedicated resources and expertise to be able to do that is absolutely vital. And in the National Trust for Scotland, which I've only joined fairly recently, uh, we have good academic partnerships, but I would like to see us grow those in the future. Yeah, I, I think that's very important. And the collaborative PhDs, that model that exists in Scotland is very useful for both for PhD students and the universities themselves, but also for the institutions. And I would like to stay on the kind of heritage field discussion for a bit and just um, ask you to think a little bit about heritage as a destination for graduates. They've come out of uh, like arts and humanities degrees. And I was thinking in that sense, what areas of work in the sector do you think would uh, benefit most from the skills and knowledge set that comes with such a degree? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there are infinite areas because if if we understand that the heritage field is really about all aspects of human culture in the past, and it's just as relevant today, and it would be interesting to talk about about the value of heritage today, then I think that there are so many skills and requirements that the heritage sector requires. It might be that there's a presumption that the heritage field is one-dimensional, that it's responsible for the practical care of places, or that perhaps it's a body that is preoccupied with getting people through the door with visitor experience mm-hmm. to enable that care to happen. But actually, it is so much more than that. And since joining the National Trust for Scotland, I have been amazed as to how many areas we deal with at the National Trust for Scotland, which will be of both interest to arts and humanities students and graduates and people much, much more widely. So at the Trust, we firm work which goes on about learning in respect to the heritage, conservation in respect of that heritage. And that in itself is a very diverse topic and one which brings all sorts of contemporary elements to it, which are very important. So uh, to give you a couple of examples, we need to think about what the right treatments are for the conservation of stonework that will respect the um, when they were constructed. But we also need to think about what the effects are, for example, of environmental change on our buildings. And we know that there is uh, legislation coming which requires buildings to be more resilient to, to climate change. It's a challenge doing that in respect of heritage buildings that are not easily adaptable. Archaeology is an important part of of our work. We have at least 10,000 archaeological sites within the Trust. And to carry on, we have curators who are responsible for developing their expertise of the collections and helping our colleagues to interpret those collections for people. We have people working across a whole range of policy areas at the National Trust, looking into things like um, the effects of um, human interaction with the marine environment. I could, I could go on. I, I think the point I'm trying to make is that at the National Trust for Scotland, what we are looking after might at first of all appear to be you know, about to do with the built heritage and the natural environment. But so much of that built heritage 
and that external environment has come into being because of human design. And so there is an enormous number of, of subjects for exploration. And I would also say that I think that the place of heritage now in our country is something that is really interesting to explore as to its relevance. We know, for example, that places of heritage that we look after are very important places in local community. They support employment and similarly communities help uh, heritage places to be looked after by working with us. Yeah, I think, you know, there's often maybe from the outside this idea that heritage is a lot about the built environment. But I remember involved in an academic role in when Historic Environment Scotland was developing their policy, Our Place in Time, in yes. I think it was 2014. Yeah. And I remember sitting in meetings where it was so much, yes, maybe they were discussing something, a building or something, a specific site, but they're often discussing about people, about their connections to the site, about basically a lot of intangible intangible heritage. And I was very excited about this because this is <laughs> like my yeah. area, intangible heritage. Um, yeah. It's my area of research. So anyway, that kind of made me think about, you know, the, the idea of heritage as this dynamic process that we're continually thinking through our connections through the past. And there is this, now I think it's everywhere in any academic book, this, this idea that heritage is made in the present and that we're continuously interpreting and reinterpreting the way we relate to the past and the significance different building sites practices have. So in that sense, I was wondering, how do you see change in the trust? And thinking here of maybe the last decade, for instance, as research in this area is very dynamic. And in the last years, we've seen quite a number of uh, very important debates in the heritage field. And I was wondering how this has had an impact on, uh, on the trust. Mm. It's a very good question, and there's lots to sort of lots to discuss. So I'll try and and keep it just a small number of subjects. I think first and foremost, what of course has been in many people's minds, and, and there's been a great deal of public interest in, is is how human involvement has shaped our heritage and shaped our heritage in a period of history where what has happened and how that heritage has that uh, built heritage or that designed heritage has come into being is now very much open to questioning. And of course, I'm particularly talking about connections between heritage and slavery. Mm. It, it is, of course, the case that much heritage in the past has come about th through being financed as a consequence of people's wealth through the enslavement of people. And so this is really very, very interesting because I think what is becoming increasingly important and of interest to all people is the stories that are behind our heritage, the fact that it is people uh, that have brought our heritage into being. And people we know very much, our members tell us, want to find out about these stories behind the properties that we have. So Understanding those stories and researching into that is vital. I think what has also developed is a sense that our heritage goes far beyond our built heritage. The trust, for example, is 
responsible for many historic houses and castles. But actually, uh, the largest part of its responsibilities are in the, the outdoor environment, the natural environment or the designed environment. And as a consequence of many things, but especially the climate crisis, there is a growing concern and understanding of the importance of how we treat our natural environment and how that natural environment has been treated is also part of our heritage. People have very, very considerable effect on the uh, natural world around us for a very, very long time. Whether it's crofting in parts of Scotland or whether it's our agriculture and aquacultural practices in food or our policy uh, as far as forestation is concerned, all of these approaches have an effect on the environment around us, which is also part of our heritage. So I have seen that in particular become of increased interest in really a, quite a short period uh, within bodies like the Trust. The Trust has always been interested in these areas, but I think that what we see is there is an increasingly wide awareness and concern about how we treat our natural heritage. That's very interesting to hear. You mentioned also earlier COVID and the lockdowns that we've all faced in the recent past. And I was wondering in that sense if the pandemic has had any influence on our collective understanding of heritage also. Yeah, I think absolutely the pandemic has had an effect on this. Whether it is, as I was saying earlier, the fact that people have not been able to engage with their heritage. By that, I mean visit their galleries or go to historic parks and houses. All of these things are such an important part of people's lives every day. I see this at our properties, for example, at, um, at New Hills. Uh, New Hills is a wonderful 18th century, which has had such an important part in the, in the story of the Scottish Enlightenment. But it is also a place where people go to meet friends, walk their dogs, enjoy the landscape around there, have a cup of coffee, play with their families, tend to their allotments. All of these comes under the responsibility. All of these things can be done at that place. And it is a place of heritage, but it's a place of great importance to people also. And so not being able to go to these places has, I think, very much meant that people have reassessed their importance. I also think that the pandemic, of course, has made us all aware of our fragility, human fragility in the world, and to think about what is important to us and perhaps think about things which are less transient and which seem to be long-standing and valuable parts of our lives. And I think that the places around us that we treasure and the inspiration that we get for our, from our heritage and the inspiration that we take from our learning about past ways of life has also become something uh, that is important to increasingly to people. And I would finally say that people have all the more valued being able to go outdoors into the natural environment, which mm. is also part of our heritage uh, in the last two years, when that liberty has uh, been taken away from us. Yeah, thank you. To move in, an, in another direction, I wanted to ask you a little bit about policies, policies around uh, heritage. And I've noticed with work that I've done previous to, to my role now that there's a lot of misunderstanding, I guess, in some sense, as culture and heritage are sometimes are used either together or one is used instead of the other. 
And although they are linked conceptually, they're, they're also quite different, I think. And this can be seen in UK policy, but it can be seen in European policy also. So I wanted to ask you what could be improved so that policies that are better for heritage specifically would be available in Scotland, but maybe also at UK level? Mm -hmm. Well, it probably wouldn't surprise you to hear me say that I think that culture and heritage are such an important part of everybody's lives and we can take such inspiration from them. So I do think that the more that can be done to enable people to better access our culture and heritage and that it is valued as something which is fundamental to our well-being and our well-being in many in many ways, including our economic well-being, are all areas that could be looked at. I suppose I would go back to an earlier point, which I think I made, which is that you know, our heritage and our culture isn't something which is really only restricted to something that we choose to do in our leisure time. They're absolutely fundamental to our lives. And I think that the last two years of the pandemic has shown how important our culture and heritage are. And I think we can make much more of them. And we work with politicians with elected representatives to continue to make that point. Heritage and culture, for example, as I've also touched upon, play a vital part in community. They can be the means by which people come together and they can be the means by which people can feel less isolated. They can contribute to a local economy through employment and, and uh, helping to develop a sense of place and identity. They contribute to our national economy through encouraging interest in our country, through tourism. Tourism is such a vital part of Scotland's economy. And at the heart of that is that people want to come and understand our culture and our heritage. There are so many reasons why we need to take good care of our heritage. We owe it to the understanding of our own society and history. But it's also an absolutely vital part of our well-being now. And so I think there are many policy areas that can take greater advantage of the riches of our culture and heritage. It is not simply about enjoyment of, let's say, artistic creativity from the past. Our culture and heritage have such an important ongoing contribution to make to our understanding of the world and our well-being in the world. Well, thank you. Just to kind of conclude our discussion, I wanted to ask you, and uh, again, this is something that we ask everyone who participates in, in this Saha conversations, and that is just what advice would you have for students who are now considering choosing arts and humanities degrees in Scotland? And also what advice would you have for those who are graduating soon? Well, I suppose I would reflect on some of my own experience on that because I was a student who had a, a deep love of the arts and wanted to be involved in the arts and making it and many other ways. But it wasn't really clear to me what I would go on and do. I think at that point, often as a student in one's 20s, but of course people study at all ages, is uh, it's very hard to know what one would do, what one's vocational choices might be. So I would encourage students who are looking at arts and humanities degrees to 
be really inquisitive to their <laughs> universities about what might lie beyond them for that. My experience, and I'm not sure how much this has changed, I'm sure it's changed very much for the better, is that the, there was an insufficient uh, level of guidance about how one might develop one's arts and humanities interest into a practical occupation, perhaps beyond academia. And I think this is really important because people would often get into an arts and humanities degree because they really, really care about the subject. I certainly did. One follows one's heart into these sorts of choices. And so I wanted to continue my passion for what I have been interested in into and throughout my working life. And I've been very fortunate to be able to do that. But I didn't know what choices were available. I didn't really understand the range of vocational choices that were in museums, for example, which are vast, as they are in our heritage body like the National Trust for Scotland. We have everybody from curators to conservationists to people involved in marketing and communications and learning and environmental management and estate management and uh, retail management, so many career choices within the sorts of organisations that I've been lucky to be involved in. So my tip is be as inquisitive as possible and push your university hard in helping you to find out about what's out there. And similarly, get in touch with organisations and ask what possibilities there may be. I always love hearing from people who are interested in this area, and I'm quite sure that uh, all of my colleagues, <laughs> similarly, uh, will always be flattered by somebody asking about how they got into working in such an interesting area of work. Thank you, Phil. It's been a lovely conversation and we're delighted you have been able to join us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our Saha conversation with Philip Long. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Post about it on social media and subscribe to be the first to know when new episodes are released. You can follow us on Twitter at Saha underscore voice and on Facebook at Saha voice. Thanks again.